I don't know exactly how to tell that joke, but it's always funny. Is this the part of the show where we just all tell our dirty jokes? Because that seems like something I don't want to be a part of. The Stack Overflow Podcast, featuring most of jokes, but not the end part. This is the Stack Overflow Podcast, episode 97, recorded Thursday, December 15th, 2016, at Stack Overflow headquarters in New York, New York, home to some of the crappiest airports in the Western Hemisphere, where more than 8 million people live in peace and enjoy the benefits of democracy. Today's podcast is brought to you by Mott Street, Lychee Bubble Tea, 99 cents, Three Eggs, 99 cents, Divorce Papers, Divorce Papers, <laughs> Mott Street. On today's podcast, the usual crew... Vice President of Community Product, Jay Hanlon. Good afternoon. VP of Engineering, David Fullerton. Hey. And our news editor is Ilani Itaki. Hello, everyone. On today's show, we have a special guest, software engineer and blogger, Dan Liu, and news of the Winter Bash from Bluefeet. I'm your host, Joel Spolsky. It's tempting to say, with news of the Winter Bash, somebody with Bluefeet. Uh, just Bluefeet, just like that, is, takes some getting used to. Maybe at Bluefeet. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you. Hi. Yes. What's going on? It's winter, you know, it's cold out. It is. It got really cold while something, I was out of town. Something to do with we hats. We had a four-minute snowstorm this morning. It, it was like storm. a little tiny, it was like a little mini blizzard. I think. I was still stuck in the bad airport. I just got back this morning from San Francisco. So here's my story. Public shame the airport, name it. Name it. Those of you who used to listen to this podcast know that I used to have weekly phone calls with Jeff Atwood, a.k.a. Coding Horror, and we would do a little business first or second, I don't remember. In the front. Or the back. And then we would record... <laughs> Our actual, like, oh, let's have a conversation about Stack Overflow. And anything that was sort of public that we could talk about publicly, we recorded, and that became the original Stack Overflow podcast, which went even before the Stack Exchange podcast, not the current Erzatz Stack Overflow podcast. All true. So now, Jeff, I don't know if David ever experiences this. Anybody, is there anybody even around to experience this? I guess Jeff Dagas and Jared used to what are we? This. What are we experiencing? It's, it's um, a little hard for us to answer so far. Not only <laughs> did you have to keep your own to-do list of tasks when you worked for Jeff Atwood, but he had a master to-do list of his tasks yes. for you. Correct. And every time you spoke to him, he went through that list and asked you, what about X? Yes. It was actually very effective. He was like the master of the to-do.txt. Like, mm -hmm. that's how he got his stuff done and how he made sure everyone else around him got the stuff he needed them to do done. It sounds really good now. I'm tempted to start doing He's that. He's come full circle. He came out against to-do list, didn't he? Didn't read that? He, he, he had a blog post. What is he in favor of? Fogbugs now? I think I'm probably... <laughs> exactly. That would be full circle. Yeah, it's definitely Fogbugs. <laughs> I may be misquoting him, but I think... I definitely enjoyed the blog. He wrote a blog post. He essentially argued that to-do lists are like an adverse selection, that the things you care about doing, you just do know anyway. about. And the things you're putting on to-do lists are things you actually don't care enough about to remember. And therefore, like, you're creating this thing you're going to knock out that is full of things you actually don't, don't want really to do, need to do, which need to I, do. I thought it was an interesting take. It's uh, not right for me because I have the memory of like no. an ant and I yeah. forget everything right. and I need this stuff or my brain's cycling all the time trying yeah. to remember what I forgot. I kind of agree with both. There was definitely somebody that was trying to reinvent extreme programming. Remember extreme programming? Is that That's pretty much gone now, right? Nobody says, we believe in oh, extreme man, programming. Now we're going to get angry tweets from extreme programming fans. Yeah. Is this just like programming while you drink Mountain Dew on a skateboard? What, I, don't, I don't understand. <laughs> no, extreme programming was don't write anything down. Just talk to people a lot. Do a lot of talking. And everybody shall always do pair programming, and they shall alternate who they do pair programming with so that you have more opportunities to talk to more people so you don't have to write anything down because you share all this knowledge by, by talking to people. That was one of the things. There was a bunch of things that you had to do in extreme programming. You had to radically refactor your code. Every time you saw well, any bad code, you just radical. rewrite it. 
Yeah. Do you have to do anything awesomely or everything like was radical? Everything tubularly? Was tu- <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was wicked. Anyway, at the time of extreme programming, everybody was trying to come up with it. It was just a way to sell consulting engagements and books, in my humble opinion. But one thing did come out of that, which is pair programming, which became much more popular, and Scrum, sure. which was sort of a, another thing, and sort of everybody, all the consultants were all selling different versions of this methodology, and they eventually created this thing called the Agile Coalition Consortium or whatever manifesto. And <laughs> they had a bunch of theses. Like, they stuck it on someone's yes. door with a knife, if I recall correctly. One hundred percent accurate. Yeah. <laughs> this is accurate, David. Yep. This is exactly what happened. I can confirm. Yeah. And they made this agile thing. And now all of a sudden everybody started saying agile. And the only idea of agile, agile. was that it was a way to get the consultants that were trying to sell extreme programming and the consultants that were trying to sell, let's say, Scrum and the consultants that were trying to sell pair programming to all kind of agree, test-driven development, a bunch of other things, a solid principles. Every consultant, like, like you don't want to just be selling the same consulting engagement that the guy down the street is selling because, and they were guys, da, 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 because, you know, then you don't have a differentiator. But if you're the only person that has programming. And I do remember once some people contacted me and said, you know, you're sort of an expert on bug tracking. We're sort of considering this new feature for our agile methodology that would be no bug tracking. You may not keep track of bugs. Just fix them. Fix all bugs. Don't keep track mm. of them. That would be their methodology. It's, like the, it's the two minute rule and getting things done. It's the, <sighs> if you don't keep track of bugs, then there are no bugs and therefore sure. everything works perfectly. Yeah. Now I have definitely had to declare bug bankruptcy, where you just say, okay, we got 3,800 bugs, just delete them all, and then the, the bad ones will come back. <laughs> or just blowing up your inbox. I think like, that's probably what happened to Yahoo, why they lost a million. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the only thing that went wrong billion? for Yahoo. A billion, a billion, a billion with a, a B. billion email passwords. Wait, what? They didn't lose mine, did they? Yeah. Really? A billion? Come on, look, there's a one in six chance. How many humans are on the planet? <laughs> did you have a Yahoo account? I, I don't know, they probably. Lost yes. Yeah, if you've Change ever been to Yahoo, they just leaked all your passwords. Now, I'm going to have to make every single site I go to password 1-2. I don't mm-hmm. have time for this crap. No, that's password my password. One. Don't use that one. <laughs> use password 1-2-3. I do. I love the branding just add your name to of it. a methodology. Not This is not about the Agile method, but the branding of it as yeah. the Agile like anything yeah. methodology yeah. is so like when you okay. say a consultant invented it, it's like we need to call it a methodology. We need right. to give it a name right. where anything but that name sounds like an un, like it's you want to use the agile methodology or the lugubrious methodology, <laughs> like <laughs> the slow and unresponsive methodology. I use sandpaper. Yeah, it's very good branding. It's like the cow poop free milk. <laughs> uh, you don't have to prove anything. It's just would you buy the one that doesn't say that? It seems crazy. Oh. Yeah, there was the salmon in cans companies. They were all selling the same stuff. They were selling salmon that sure. was put in cans, you know, in the 50s or whatever. Probably grown in cans as well. That's right. And <laughs> just depending on what kind of salmon they used, it was either slightly gray in color or slightly pink in color, just yeah. depending on the type of salmon. And the one that had the slightly gray salmon started putting on their labels doesn't turn pink in the can. Oh, genius. <laughs> that, is, that is awesome. That is awesome. Uh, okay. So anyway, so Jeff Atwood, aka Coding Horror, had a to-do list for me. And I was not a developer on the Stack Overflow project, but he still had a list. And I'm sure Jeff Doggis had 47 things on there, but I only had one, which is at some point I had mentioned that I would love to be on Twit, i.e. This Week in Tech with Leo Laporte. This is exciting. Yes. And so every single time I had a call with Jeff Atwood, pretty much Wait, really? until I had to cut him out of my life. He would say, have you talked to Leo Laporte going on Twit? That was my thing. And he would this, say that every week. That was the thing he nagged you about? Yeah. Oh, I mean, he nagged Wait, me Wait, but yes, yeah, so this is interesting because the, the way list. you set it up, what I assumed was like Jeff Atwood had a list of things 
for you to do yeah. that he wanted, such as oh, like- Oh no, sometimes it could be something you wanted. Like stop calling me bloated horror, I don't think it's funny. <laughs> or, you know, don't- Bloated? Do, I'm, I don't know, I made that. So he's keeping that a list a little horror. bit of your hopes and dreams, things that he knows you want to do. And it's this one item that has finally come true for you. We should like call That's him so we nice can way. cross it off of his I list. Did. I called him. That's awesome. And he crossed it off his list. I, well, I emailed him. And he remembered, of course. Anyway, I was on Twit <laughs> this week in tech. My reason for not getting on Twit is that 100% of the guests that they had on that show were some kind of tech journalist. So I assumed that they would not have me. As it turns out, they were pining for me all along. Aww. And they always wanted me Wait, on the show. So Jeff was nagging you. And if you had literally just even tried, you yeah. would have been successful this is why you he need was right jeff to nag you this you is the story yeah. of your failure and we're just going to add it to the list of things that jeff atwood was right about but he did not communicate in a way that caused people to want him to be right <laughs> i just wonder like if, when i think about all the yeah. things he's achieved and built yeah. like yeah. if he didn't have to keep track of these things that you could have solved by getting off your butt and asking one question just think of what else the world would have right, for him. just sent email yeah you were Twitter. holding him back god Anyway, so go That's why to... he had to declare to-do list bankruptcy, because these things like this, you just never got around to. Correct. Go to twit.tv slash shows slash triangulation. So the show that I was on was called Triangulation, and episode 277 there, it's a podcast. You can subscribe to the whole Triangulation podcast. Leo Laporte has been in radio for uh, quite a while, really been a professional radio broadcaster since college, since I'm pretty sure he was involved in the college radio station. and is just super, super duper, like, you know, walks in one second before the show is ready to go live and then makes it look like he's super prepared <laughs> by looking things up on the Wikipedia as he's doing the show. Wait, did you learn a secret for that? Because that would be really useful for us. I know. Mm -hmm. It takes me 45 minutes to get ready for this show. But he just comes in and does a lot of the, the secret is that if you have to do eight hours of radio a day, then you just don't ever prepare. You just have no, and it's just not a thing <laughs> that you do. Just do it live. Because it's impossible. Do you it have live. to do it live. <laughs> you just do it live. <laughs> so you just okay. get really good at that. We'll put a link in the show notes, but definitely you will want to listen. There's also lots of other great episodes. Wait, of... what, well, give us a little teaser. Like, what kinds of things did you talk about? Well, we, started, we talked a little bit about Gomex. We talked a little bit about my background and history. You know, the Fog Creek, the Trello, the Stack Overflow, why Stack Overflow works so well, that kind of stuff. The truth is, if you listen to a lot of interviews with me, I don't know if you'll get that much new. Oh, out this, of this. Is the, this is the this is the anti plug, Joel. <laughs> Sorry, this is the canonical. This is the canonical place to go for a one hour in depth interview of everything Joel Spolsky. And he was super excited about Gomix, which I'm super excited about, and really got it right away just by looking at the website. So I'm psyched about that. In so, summary, uh, it's all new material, and you get into material. a rap battle with yeah. Louis C.K. and Aziz Ansari, and nobody should miss it. Hey, I don't know about okay, uh, good. Aziz. Uh, now I have another bucket list item. <laughs> just finally cross something off of the bucket listen, list. Listen, I don't want you to have to add on your list. Ask Jeff to add this to his list. Make sure I will get in touch you with Jeff. You every week tell me, no, have no, no, you no, called no. Aziz and Sorry to do the rap This is not my specialty. I'll no. get in touch with Jeff for you Let's and do... ask him to put this on his new list for you. Okay. Can we do a whistling battle instead of a rap battle? Super intense whistling battle would be fun to watch. <laughs> Kind the of, constraint, kind of the constraint ups the drama. It needs to end with one of you passing out. <laughs> good for any kind of battle, really. <sighs> Twit.tv slash shows slash triangulation. And for those of you that don't know, that are listening to this podcast for some reason, the number one podcast in our field has always been Twit This Week in Tech. And that's a weekly, it's like two and a half hours. You mean, of, you mean other than our podcast? Yeah. We're, no, well, we're number one. Well, number we're the number one in terms of like the best, the most interesting, the funniest, right, uh, the most right. charming, the greatest, Hands etc. Handsomest and, and most attractive. They and most are right. the yeah. oldest, so they have the most episodes. 
Oh, oh, okay. There's a few triangulation episodes. Yours specifically is episode 277. Yeah, that's quite just, a lot. I don't think they do them. They that's do chronological them order. Just, week, uh, not quality. For some clarification. It's weekly. So this has been going on for years and years and years and years and years. Who else has been on it? Let's do all triangulation episodes and let's see if there's anybody interesting here. That, oh, this uh, can be a great segment. Let's IARPA read all 277 transcripts. <laughs> okay. I was just going to look and see if there was anybody that I Dan could. Dan Ackerman, the Tetris effect. I could compare myself. How do we stack up against Alan them? Cooper. Has Alana ever been on it? Oh, wow. Alan Cooper was on recently, the inventor of Visual Basic. So that's a huge thing. It says here, the creator of Ruby on Rails. So that must be DHH, that's... but it doesn't have his name for some reason. I guess they were unsure right. how to spell and or pronounce it. Maybe he only or goes by fit. the creator of Ruby on Rails now. It's like, a, it's, right. it's like an honorarium like your majesty. Or it doesn't fit in the bottom thirds. So they're just like, you have to go on shows. As, can't you just be David H. or something normal? Is Why he do you young have and to handsome? Be? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's I like a he handsome is, race yeah. car driver. Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, I guess that's him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it, no says, it says his name if you click in. All right, well, this is all fascinating <laughs> to our listeners, I'm <laughs> Let's sure. Let's talk about on. who else is young and handsome. Okay, okay one on. last thing. Since on. I did this morning just get back at New York's worst airport, John F. Kennedy, maybe we should vote on which airport in New York is the most like the seven circles of hell. Newark. LaGuardia. Definitely LaGuardia. <laughs> no, LaGuardia is great. Ugh. LaGuardia I'm, a, I'm great. a LaGuardia apologist. They're all yeah, terrible. LaGuardia is like tiny and like half of the flights you're in like some weird back alley. Yeah. And like you're not sure where <laughs> you right. are. But the result of being in this bizarre place is you get to like where you expect security to be. And there's just a door and a person saying, welcome aboard. And you just like no, stroll. Oh, right. that is yeah. not correct. That is not what LaGuardia happens. LaGuardia is, it's the little airport that could. I believe in LaGuardia. When I went to Denver, I went through LaGuardia, and it took like an extra hour to get from the highway that is adjacent to LaGuardia into LaGuardia, because in order to do construction there, they have closed one out of two of the entrances to LaGuardia. They used to have two entrances. Now they have one entrance. You really clarified your initial point there very well. I appreciate that. 50% less entrances to LaGuardia. And that's how, like, they're not running 50% fewer flights. So the traffic jams that that thing is creating are Epic. It's terrible. Epic. I read a thing that said if you close LaGuardia, yeah, that the same number of people could fly out of New York City faster. In other words, that the havoc that having mm-hmm. three overlapping airports causes to flight plans. Yeah, they're definitely all considered one. Essentially, like they don't get additional capacity. Yeah, they've got to like thread airports. all these needles and stuff. And yeah. they essentially said if you shut down LaGuardia and the other airports had to pick up those passengers, they would still move the same number of people faster. Yeah, but <laughs> that'd be like closing two more highway entrances into airports. What percent and so would all that? the people that are driving into LaGuardia would now have to drive down the Van Wick, which is the other thing that I have tried to do recently, where it always takes two hours, and it used to take one hour as recently as last year. It's awful. It's absolutely awful. Do you have anything else to say about the Van Wick Expressway? No, we but barely, I do have an observation, the surface which is that when I got off... All right, something I noticed, and I've heard these complaints, and I went and looked them up, and the MTA, which operates the subways in New York, complains that they get 100,000 turnstile jumpers a day. Therefore, they're losing a lot of money and they need this money. But six million people ride the subway or something? That number I actually made up. That might be. We'll have our fact checkers pull that it up right now. That might be the number of hamburgers served at McDonald's. But anyway, 100,000 people a day jump the turnstile. Now, here's something I noticed. How do they calculate how many people jump the turnstile? Did you guess six million people? Yes. 5.7 million daily riders on. Okay, so I clearly am exaggerating massively. I just figured New York has 8 million people. Most of them go to work on subway. So <laughs> it's got to be. My, 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 you should work at a carnival, like guessing people's transportation methods or okay, something. it doesn't matter. 100,000 okay. of them are jumping the turnstile, according to the MTA, and therefore they're losing a lot of money. How do you think they know how many people jump the turnstile? 
and they theories, watch them and, theories, and don't do anything about it. No, here's my theory. My theory is there's a turnstile, and if you jump the turnstile, you are not recorded going in, but you probably don't jump the turnstile to get out because there's no reason for that. That go going going out is free. Oh, okay. Doesn't work though. There's too many people going through doors. So if you use in and oh, out that's a great only, point. there's oh. and the doors are used significantly more going the doors. out. They don't match. I have a different theory, which is people with rollerboards. Okay, so when I'm getting on the subway and I've got my little bag, you know what a rollerboard is, right? It's those bags with a stick and wheels. Wait, so I'm like sorry. A wheeled, can, wheeled wait, hang on, hang on. But when, when you say it, what is a wheel? Can you explain what a wheel is to me? <laughs> Listen. Okay, so I'm sorry. Oh, now it's coming there back to me. There exist people it's who know what a wheel me. is, but do not know what a rollerboard so is. So yes, <laughs> yes, as a 40-some-odd-year-old oh American, yes, I'm familiar with a rollerboard okay. suitcase. Carry on. When you're getting into the subway, that thing will not go through the turnstile without using up a token or, you know, a swipe, which is annoying. So, yeah, I kind of have to, like, lift it over your head to get into the Wait, subway. A, a carry-on? The 22-inch whatever carry-on? Because it's got that stick coming up. What I always end up doing is you end up, like, picking that thing sure. up over the turnstile, which is a lot of effort. It's more physical effort than I normally do in a year. And you look like a jumper if they're recording something. No, I mean, you still pay for yourself, right. but you have to hold up your entire suitcase in the air like the it's baby in really Lion King. Barbaric. <laughs> in order to yeah. get through the turnstile. Very good visual aid. Thank you. But on like the way it. out, on the way out, I just let it have its own swipe. Because the out is free. Oh, so it would generate an extra exit. Aha! So the MTA, every time I use a rollerboard, the MTA is like, wow, two people went out and one person went in. Somebody must have jumped the turnstile. You see? So it's not 100,000 jumps a day. It's, first of all, it's 99,999 max. Other people might do that too. Do you think there are 100,000 people with rollerboards who are doing one swipe in and two swipes out? Probably. In Do we have any yeah. evidence that your idea of how they're counting these outs minus ins is actually correct? No, that was just a theory. <laughs> and also, so you just made that up. And then based on that made-up theory, you made up another theory about why that theory was incorrect. And therefore, because they were doing it this way, their counting was wrong. Um, listen, okay, it's all made it. up. This actually got sounds it. a lot like our conclusions about the Go language, where we just make random guesses and then build on them until we are wrong over yeah. and over again. Yeah, we're not even going to talk about that because that's a whole episode of wrong. This was like at least a new kind of wrong that I came up with. By the way, Freakonomics wrote an article in which they actually calculated it was worth jumping the turnstile because the percentage probability that they would catch you times the fine that they charged you if they did catch you was less than the cost of paying for all those subway tickets. So go ahead and jump the turnstiles and just pay the fines when you get fined. That is according to Freakonomics. But stay in school, kids, okay? Yeah. Okay, let's go to Bluefeet. Are Blue you with feet. us? I am. Hi. For those that don't know, Bluefeet is a member of our community team here at the Stack Overflow. That is true. Yes. And so, Bluefeet, I understand you're here to tell us about what I think Joel would refer to as one of our rights of intensification. Thank but, you. Yes. Uh, you're, yeah, it's a callback to good, earlier good. discussions. Good. Cultural anthropology. Occasionally I, I listen. I'm afraid you will ask me a question about things you said. Now I'm wondering. I'm going to Google that to see if I made that up. <laughs> I should stop quoting that, perhaps. But before we get to that, in addition to being a talented community manager here, you also a longtime contributor, moderator on Stack Overflow prior to that. Yes. As is off the case from us, where we frequently hire from our most talented community members. You were obviously a programmer when you were doing that. How did you first get interested in computers or writing code? So my story is kind of weird because I kind of just fell into it, to be honest. I actually went to college. Congratulations. With the full Thank you. I appreciate that. With the intention of becoming an attorney. And I oh actually God. went to law school for a period of time and regretted it instantly. So after about 
I don't know, one semester plus like a few weeks, I decided to quit law school because I couldn't stomach the fact that I actually decided I wanted to do this for the rest of my life. And so then I didn't really know what I was going to do for a job. (laughs) So I actually was just working random like customer service types of jobs while I was trying to figure out what I was going to do for the rest of my life. And my company had a website developer position that opened up and I was like, hey, I could probably do that. I've never done it before, but I'm sure I could figure out how to do it. So I applied for it with absolutely zero experience or knowledge as to how to be a website developer. That's awesome. And the guy that was the manager, he sat me down for an interview and he's like, do you even know anything? I'm like, no, I don't. And he said, well, I can't hire you. I'm like, yeah, I understand. But you know, I wanted to at least tell you that I was interested in the job. And so I didn't get that job initially, but I was very adamant that I knew I could do it. So I went out that weekend and bought some books on the technologies that they were using, which of course was HTML, CSS, and then they used Cold Fusion. So I bought all these books so that I could learn how to do all of this stuff on my own. And about two weeks after I did that, he found out that I took the initiative to go and like try and learn this on my own. And he's like, okay, we'll give you the job. So that's kind of how I fell into it. And that was the start of my programming experience and career. And then things kind of twisted and turned. And then I wound up on Stack Overflow and figured out that I really liked writing SQL. And then I became like a database developer and a DBA and stuff like that. And that's what I was doing up until I started here as a community manager. It's kind of a weird story, but yeah. That's an amazing story. I love everything about your story. There's the obvious sort of like, I decided I could just do that. So I did it and applied for a job and then explained, I don't really not do it yet, but I will learn. And then I, it, everything about it is fantastic. My favorite part is that you went to law school and like almost immediately you're like, this is stupid and I refuse to do it and I am out. And people think you should teach your kids like never quit. That's terrible advice. The good advice is never quit late. You got there, huh? didn't like it and left. And that quit is- Quit early? Yeah. Oh. Quitting early is often correct. <laughs> if you decide you truly hate something, there's no reason to keep doing that thing or trying to finish it or be good at it. For eight hours. Are you listening, Dad? I'll get my degree someday, <laughs> you jerk. I mean, no, sorry. My real. sister is one credit short of a bachelor's degree. Really? Yeah. She never went back to get the last credit because she, you know, she had great this jobs. This is like, and... I had this nightmare a few weeks ago. I was it's like, the most it's, common it's the nightmare, nightmare the where you're like, oh no, I never actually graduated. I have yeah. one class I need to go back. And yep. it was like some math and class and I was trying to take the test. Oh, and I was no. like, I don't, yeah. you don't even I know don't where even the room remember is. any of this. Mine is I'm totally naked and I'm on meta. And then I don't know what happens next, but it's always very, <laughs> it's very frightening. It's that, a very is, scary. There will be no discussion of drugs in the show. No, meta, meta, not okay. So Bluefy, we're not really here to talk about you, but I have to ask a question. What did you want to share? Is something happening? Something is happening. Tell us. Starting Monday, starting on December 19th, is our annual Winter Bash, aka the Season of Hats. That starts. It is our annual event for our communities to take part in, where they can earn fabulous hats for their avatars throughout the site for doing things that they're already doing. This year, we have all new hats for everyone to find and hunt for and things like that. We've got 28 hats that are known and that will be released immediately on the day that hats launches. And yeah, that is the fun for the last three weeks of the year. So starting on the 19th through January 8th, 
it is winter bash time. And when you say that people will get hats just for doing things they're, they're doing anyway, are you concerned this is essentially just social promotion and we are degrading the quality of, Never mind. that's probably not a real problem. So let me ask you a trivia question. Do you know whose idea the original, I think it was called Hat Dash, if my memory serves, but the, the first iteration of Winter Bash okay, was? Okay, first of all, it's Anil Dash. Uh, Anil, <laughs> he should change his middle name to Hat. And secondly, that has nothing to do with this. <laughs> not in quotes, just officially. So, Bluefit, I'm going to ask you to guess, and guess carefully, because you will be judged by the person who you underestimate if you don't get them right. It's not me. Well, I know it started on the gaming site back in, I believe, 2011, if I'm correct. Yeah, um, way back in the day. Way back in the day, yes. That was when Hat Dash started. But I don't know who... I know this was like a spinoff of... Three's Company. There we go. That's it. <laughs> I mean, it was, I'm very Tyler Moore. I might not be remembering correctly. Yeah. What Jay's trying to say is that I created Hat Dash. Winter Bash, which, you know, I don't like to brag, but it's probably my biggest contribution to the whole company. Wasn't it? Wait a minute. Wasn't it David? Yeah. That's the person speaking right now saying it was him who did it. And it's important because it's the last good I'm idea David had. Potter so that it could be edited in to make it sound like <laughs> David is not just a gigantic narcissist. <laughs> Actually, I'm not even sure it was my idea. It might have been this designer we had working for us. You wrote a paper. I might have written oh. a doc about it. We who was that guy? That Sean? Up. Sean? Sean? Sean, sure. It was supposed to be Hat Fight. Was the original one, but we couldn't get the domain mm. name, so we went with Hat Dash. <laughs> True story. Which is easier. And then Hat Hyphen. We were going to anthropomorphize the hats and they would box or something? How would that work? Uh, yeah. But I don't know. It was just going to be Hat Fight. Like so you, you were guys competing to get then. the best you hats. Did, this is like a half-cocked that idea. Was, that was that the first like idea. It really came from Team Fortress, TF2. Right. Right. Well, Team Fortress they, they had the that. ingenious idea of like, what if we make the entire game and all aspects of it and the server and everything free to play? all features and will get people to purchase digital hats that do nothing in the game and everyone's like right. you are lunatics and no one that should have given you any money to run a business and they made like a billion dollars right it was a pivot they launched the game like a regular game you bought it you played it i played it there were no hats and then they were like what if we just added hats and then they were like what if we just gave the game away for free and the only thing people paid for was you know that sounds bonkers goodie boxes which might have hats in them i think we're missing an opportunity here because everyone loves hats so <laughs> Let's sell hats. <laughs> Get a pricing doc together, Bluffy. This is great. We need some more monetization diversification <laughs> strategies. I love this. I love it. So what is your favorite hat this year? Don't tell us the secret ones because I want to be surprised. Oh, I, I won't tell the secret ones, but there is one hat that is based off of a beloved character from the never-ending story. <gasps> oh, yeah. And I, I absolutely love the hat. It's beautiful. Is it the narrator? It's the narrator, right? Yes, that's exactly who it is, Jay. That's yes. <laughs> a good guess. We have a hat of the narrator who, you know, from the never-ending story. No, the hat is actually Falcor, oh. which is the big flying the big, animal guy. from yep. the never-ending story. Yes. Dog dragon. The flying dog dragon that everyone loves. I, I, didn't, I didn't recall the name. Yes, it is Falcor, the dog dragon. And how do I earn the Falcor hat, quote hat? You earn the Falcor hat by creating or updating at least two items on your Stack Overflow developer story. So never-ending story. I love it. Ah, I love it. The never-ending story by updating your developer story. We should have made it like 600 wow. items would have been more purely consistent with the never-ending concept, but I like this a lot. <laughs> 
And I feel like I vaguely recall, have we had, or to your knowledge, were there incidents in the past where we had like hat ideas that went horribly wrong? We're like, because like badges <laughs> we experiment with usually and we kind of test and we figure out hats, we sometimes do a little more on the fly and it's like, what if we had a hat for the number of times you take down the site with a DDoS attack? And I'm like, oh, that was a bad idea. Like we did not. Were there any that went wrong? I don't, that, I don't think the vaguely. Lennon hat was very popular. The Lennon hat? Well, I do recall when I was a user of Stack Overflow before I was a moderator, one of the very first years of hats, there was some sort of hat for flagging items, which yeah. did not go over very well with the moderators. I think you had to flag like five things to get a hat. And so the moderator queue like exploded <laughs> in size and the mods were like, don't ever do this to what us again. What could possibly go wrong with giving out hats yeah, for flagging? I feel like we've accidentally also encouraged vandalism in the past. I forget. There's one for like editing or something. I can't remember what. We've had some misguided hats in the past. It's like New York City having a contest where if you file a police report, you might win a giant prize. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what could go wrong? Three eggs. <laughs> oh, uh, that perhaps at the Mott Street precinct, you right. get the three eggs. 99 cent. So can you just tell all of our listeners what all the secret hats are? I cannot. <sighs> she's she's That's really on the ball. That's of the secret okay. nature of hats. Okay. So, unfortunately, our users are just going to have to get out there and try and discover Two all things. of the secret hats on their own. Find the hats, see the other people with the hats, try to figure out where they came from. That's right. And then tweet about it. And this is the first year I think that everyone will see the hats on Stack Overflow by default. Is that correct? That is correct. It is the first year that everyone will see the hats. However, if you are a hater of hats, you are able to turn them off because we're not going to make you see them and or participate in hats if you are a hater of them as always but all of our sites are participating all except one math overflow is not participating but very serious very serious site yes but every single site is participating this year in winter bash and uh, it should be good fun awesome awesome in the past we've i think there were some concerns about performance on stack overflow if all anonymous visitors saw them but everyone's going to see the hats and it brings a little bit of mirth and silliness to what is often a bit of a serious serious place so thank you for all your hard work on hats and also for sharing a little bit about your story and info with us today well thank you for having me last important question for our less ornithological listeners what is blue feed what is a blue feed I didn't know this till I met you. It is a blue-footed booby, which is a bird that has very bright turquoise feet. Yeah, I was going to say that it raises more questions than it answers. <laughs> it looks like a sort of big... The Galapagos bird. It is a Galapagos bird, yes. Does it only live in the Galapagos? There are different versions of it that you can even see like in California and down in Mexico, but primarily it is in the Galapagos Islands. Yes. And I don't think I've shared this in the podcast before because I can't fathom how I, I would have, but when Bluefeet first joined the team and came on board and was in chat, and we knew her through the site a little bit, but I mean, it was her first time as an employee. And the community team is actually pretty solidly diverse already at this point, good kind of group of people from different backgrounds and all kinds of things. And one of the first things I saw in the site is Bluefeet's there. And I was like, welcome, welcome. And someone's like, I always wanted to ask you, were you always interested in boobies? And I was like, what the hell is happening? And it was someone like who would never be saying such a thing. And I'm like, this is insane. And, and I'm literally like offline. I'm in like private chat rooms. Like, is someone on drugs? Like, what's going on? This is a new hire. And then I see the response and it's like a link to all these different types of boobies, which are varieties of birds, which is, of course, what Bluefeet comes from. And after I took my medication to get my heart rate back down to normal, I realized I was just ignorant, but it was it was a moment. So anyway, thank you again, and good luck with your haberdashery. Oh, thank you. Boobies are really cute, actually. 
Does haberdashery mean what I think it does? It's, yes, it's Ex. a hat store. Yes! Haberdashery. Okay, as you know, we are preparing a constitution for Stack Overflow. Each week we bring you a proposal, and you, our listeners, will decide on whether that proposal becomes part of our new constitution. And so with the result from last time, last time the question was whether or not GIF is pronounced with a hard J with the result of last week's constitution. Here's news editor Ilani Itzhaki. We had a result. It was 92% pro hard G. Wow, that yes. is amazing. I think we had Which, one thank person. Thank you, internet. We had one yes. person. And, that and was he, totally me. He, it came from a very respectful place. He said the creator uses the J sound, and Aha. that's why he was con that he wanted to respect the creator's wishes. Yes. And I yeah, just thought just it was like giraffe without an R. Yeah, the good news is none of us have to move to Canada, which is what <laughs> I was going to do if we got the wrong answer here. This Joel is does, not because Joel still pronounces a GIF. Now, Joel I'm was open-minded, humiliated. I feel like. Joel has I don't to know if to I'm going to be able to change it this week. Varchar. Or Varchar. <laughs> <laughs> it's equal. No. Do you uh, want to know about the winning tweet? Oh, yeah. What was the, what was the winning tweet? The winning tweet, his name is Jason St. Cyr at Agile St. Cyril. Sans Like my gifts with a hard G because I refuse to unwrap gifs at Christmas. Gifts. Yeah. So it's like, oh, how yeah. seasonal. Yeah. Yeah, I like Perfect. that one. Wait, I have a question. Can we go back for a second? Of course. Because I'm a non-Stack Overflow user. This is not even a Stack Overflow thing. Yeah. But longtime supporter, so right? Fan. Is that, yes. Okay. So <laughs> would the hats be something like an Easter egg? Uh, it kind of is. They're similar not to secret. Easter eggs in that they're like silly little Seasonal things. things involving graphics. But an Easter egg generally would be something that is like hidden and hard to discover. Okay. While with the hats, we put like a big snowflake at the top. And oh, like, so you know where they are. You just yeah, don't know what the hats are. It's like, it's a little bit, Advent calendar is kind of, it's not quite the right metaphor, but it's like this temporary game where you can go find them and we make it clear most of the ones you can find, and you'll see other people with their whimsical hats. Right, right. It's like, do you remember when you used to go to Yahoo, and it was like around Christmas time, and you'd see snowflakes on the Yahoo homepage? And you'd be like, oh, there's snowflakes on the Yahoo homepage. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cute. Wait, I'm sorry, did I Yahoo let you hear me talking like that? Because I thought I was in a private place. This is very, very discomforting. Everybody does that. Everybody has the dream that they forgot the last test. And everybody has the snowflakes on the Yahoo and they speak in that voice. And Yahoo has everybody's password and gave it to everyone else. <laughs> That's right. That okay. too. That is, will be in the news. This week. Okay. Today's constitution question. I was going to do pro or con Kennedy Airport, but that was not even a question. <laughs> shall it be shut down, I guess. Burned to the ground and the earth there shall be sown with salt. salt. Sure. Sure. Salted. Clearly. Kosher salt. No. I want to <laughs> do the Simonia Amendment, i.e. shall we bring back Hungarian notation? Which is? Okay. Hungarian notation is an old system that was invented at Microsoft for deciding what your variable name should be in your code. And it was a very awesome system. I know that this is just going to be a little bit too programmer-oriented for the Stack Overflow podcast, but I'm plowing through it anyway. Next week, we can go back to toilet seat up or down or something like that. But this week, we're doing a programmer Seems thing. Seems appropriate for our audience. <laughs> Brief history of Hungarian notation, which you can get, by the way, if you go to twit.tv slash shows slash triangulation and listen to my episode 277 of the Port. We talked a little bit about Hungarian notation. I came from Word. Charles Simonyi, who is a very, very early programmer on the Xerox Alto workstation. Of Hungarian descent, I hope, I would assume. Simonyi, he was of Hungarian descent. Okay. And he Thanks invented a way of naming your variables that was designed so that you didn't have to remember what the name of any variable was because there was some very strict rules for how you shall name your variables that actually gave you in 99% of cases, 
there was literally only one name that particular variable could have. Joel, you're the only person I know who is still like advocating for Hungarian notation. I think you might be the only person on the entire internet. I'm the only one that well, knows we'll how great it is. Week. It makes programming so easy and you can, solves you can all kinds try, of problems. You're, you're going to try to get this added to the Constitution, but that, no, nobody's going to vote they for should, it. They should. They should because they're programmers listening to the show. I guarantee you we're going to have much more interest than we did in your silly question <laughs> about gifts and gifts and so forth. That was your question. <laughs> Pro- hey, on, my question was about the keyboard, and I got a lot of responses. Hungarian notation. That's right. Post your answer to Twitter using the hashtag StackOverflow podcast with either pro or con and your explanation the explanation is the important part because that's how we will decide what to read on the show and who gets a free sticker it shall be short but convincing it shall fit in 140 characters the best explanation whether on the winning side or the losing side will be read on next week's podcast and you will win the stack overflow sticker courtesy of the stack overflow podcast and Leachy bubble tea. You're not going to get that. That's who it's courtesy of. Submit your ideas. This is something that's not yet happened. If you don't want terrible ideas for future constitutional amendments, please go to the Twitter and submit your ideas for future constitutional amendments. Again, using the hashtag Stack Overflow Podcast, and one of them might be named after you. For the record, this has not yet happened. <sighs> what else are we doing? We have a guest. Do we have we a guest? We do have a guest. Welcome to the studio, Mr. Dan Liu. Hello. Software engineer, senior engineer at Microsoft since 2015, previously senior engineer at, what's this? Google. Goggle. Google. Google. You had it. You had it right. I don't know what they are. Best known for writing a blog about low-level technical topics at DanLu, which has two U's.com, and working on the Google TPU, deep learning hardware. What is that? That sounds scary, deep learning, I'm afraid. It can beat you at chess, probably. Yeah. It could probably keep our running without having to upgrade java to the latest version yeah so it's this chip that does deep learning right like people often do it on cpus or gpus but it's more efficient to do it on a chip it's sort of funny i can't talk oh. about it too much they announced it uh, but when they announced it microsoft told me they got a letter from the lawyers at google reminding me about like obligations for confidentiality so i don't know what i can actually say about it don't say anything about it i just want to know if the t is from terminator it's <laughs> like that's the chip in the terminator right that they have to go back into the future and destroy <laughs> somehow this chip because it's the deep learning chip that makes terminator possible there's a weird thing where like he doesn't get into the future unless he goes back into the past and like saves his mom and the paradox breaks my brain and i can't deal it just uh, it's too much for so me. anyway that's my question <laughs> is the, the tpu for terminator <laughs> dan may have to consult with his lawyers or microsoft's lawyers in order to respond to you my lawyers will get back to you. Excellent. Excellent. The podcast loves hearing from lawyers. Dan, in particular, we wanted to have on those of you who are longtime John Software readers uh, may recall an article uh, Joel wrote yeah. quite some time ago called Finding Great Developers or Finding Great Developers 2. Was that Finding Great Developers 2? Or is 2 just part of the just part of the slug? Finding Great Developers from Joel on Software. Touch on that. And Dan wrote a piece breaking down where perhaps he thought there were either some flaws in some of those theories or additional observations or changes. And I think a lot of thoughtful people like to bring people on with differences of opinion. That's not why you're here, Dan. Joel asked us to have you here to dress you down and scold you for questioning any of his beliefs. Perfect. I have a prepared statement, which I shall read. So, why don't, Dan, why don't I let you speak a little bit? I, I actually, I haven't read both pieces again recently. I actually think you guys, there's parts of it you're agreeing a lot on in places and maybe just bits and pieces. But oh, I agree with everything. Uh, you agree with everything. That I wrote and everything that Dan wrote, too. You, so. you both. Both. Yeah. You're both beautiful. You support every every position. I think the positions are not. I think we can square that circle. I, <laughs> yeah, I actually can't tell if we actually disagree or if I misunderstood what you said, or maybe we used to disagree, but you know, you changed your mind because you wrote your article some time ago, like 10 years ago or something like that, and things have changed a lot since then. Well, the one thing I kept noticing and which I do sort of stand behind is that 
there are some very, very poor applicants out there in the world, and they are disproportionately applying to a large number of jobs. So even if you just look at the college graduate market, the people that are least likely to get jobs will literally apply to a thousand. Like, I'm not joking. They'll cut and paste the same application to a thousand people. Whereas the people that are maybe had a good internship are a little bit more, I don't know if they're qualified or not, but they're a little bit more confident in their ability to get a job will be applying to two or three places that sound good and expect that there's a high likelihood that they'll get them. And the net result of that is that when you're on the recruiter side, if you're just counting the number of resumes you see incoming, you see a disproportional number of these representatives of the people that are not likely to be able to get jobs. So something I don't quite understand, and I don't even know if I disagree, but something I don't understand. So I used to work at this company called Centaur. This is a small company that no one's heard of. I'm, I'm guessing no one in your stream has heard of it, and probably almost no one listening has heard of it. You know, when I worked for Google, it's different. You know, if you go to a career fair, people line up, they yeah. want to talk to you. You go to Centaur, like, no one wants to talk to you. They don't notice you. I imagine Fog Creek was the same before you started running your blog, right? Well, I, there, were, there was no Fog Creek before I started writing my blog. Oh, okay. In fact, people always knew about it. And it was sort of <laughs> weird because we would do like a little bit of recruiting on one or two campuses. Like we would send some people out. When we had seven people, we would send two people up to MIT. They would do like a full press on MIT with advertisements in the newspaper and, uh, you know, Career Center and blah, 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 blah. And then they once overheard students on campus saying, where are you applying? Well, I'm applying to Microsoft. In those days, it was like Microsoft, Apple, and Fog Creek. And to a student at MIT, all you've seen is those three companies <laughs> recruiting on campus with approximately the same size presence, i.e. two people and table tents. And it was sort of funny that you could kind of create the illusion to students of being much larger than you really were. You're like were. the state media. They're yeah. such a small... So to go back for a second, Dan, are you didn't... Not the not the Centaur software, the leading Australian provider of practice management software no, products and no. services uh, to no, no. dental and allied health practitioners? Yeah, sorry. No, company. this is Centaur Technology. It's a small chip startup. Well, not anymore, but it's a small chip company that was acquired by Via, a Taiwanese chip company. Member of the Formosa Plastics Group. <laughs> What plastics group? No, that's what his company. His company. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's true. I think it's owned by a conglomerate, which does a lot of different things. But anyway. Oh, but anyway, yeah, we go to career fairs and literally, you know, there'd be like hundred companies there and no one would talk to us. I'd literally have to like get into the hallway and like sort of, you know, accost people and say, hi, do you want to talk or whatever? Right. And we chat for a bit. And then we get some resumes through that. But like, since no one had heard of us, no one wanted to right. talk to us. And as a result of this, right, like if we ask questions that were like really hard, I mean, as hard as the phone screen question for Dropbox or Google or something, we would reject almost everyone who came in because we just didn't get that many people. And the people weren't practicing like outcomes interviews the way people yeah. often do if they're applying to Google. But yet we still had like really good engineers. I still feel like it's the, on average, the most productive place I've ever worked. And so I feel like there's something that's sort of missing. Like you can not have what you think of as like a very rigorous hiring screen. I mean, it must be rigorous in some way, right? But not like traditionally rigorous and it can still work out really well. Yeah. Probably. Well, the other thing, the thing I do strongly, totally agree with that you wrote, which I didn't address at all on that day, is that many workplaces are really so terrible and so dysfunctional that it is not really correct to say that the good developers eventually just find a great place and get glued in there. I think there's a syndrome, which I notice every time I go to San Francisco, of every single programmer there is switching jobs every 25 minutes. And all they do when they meet their friends who are other developers is bitch and moan about how dysfunctional their particular company is. <laughs> and it's not wrong, but they sort of, you know, they psych themselves up. And to me, I sort of put that in the same category as, so 
So first of all, there are good workplaces and bad workplaces. I definitely know that Stack Overflow is a great workplace. People tell it to me all the time, and it's probably not just because I'm boss. But also, we also have- The report you requested was called Why Stack Overflow is the Best Workplace Amazing. on the Planet yeah. with the Best CEO. With but the Best CEO. I promise we did. We, did, we were very independent. How we it also came to have those. extremely low turnover. So I have- That is true. I have facts to defend it. And in fact, there's another weird phenomenon which happens. Stack Overflow, Fog Creek, Trello have approximately the same work environment. And the other syndrome is that a lot of times we'll see kids that start out of college at one of these companies. Young adults. Yep. Young adults, usually not Stack Overflow. It's because they're goats. I call them kids. Too. They're, yeah. It's because <laughs> they're baby goats. Go on. Yes. <laughs> and they'll start. You will occasionally see one of them say, This is bullshit. This company sucks. I'm leaving. And we'll be like, Yeah, yeah. You don't know what it's like in the real world because you've only ever worked at Trello and just have fun and then they'll go to Warby Parker for 20 minutes and, and realize. <laughs> I don't think of a particular example and realize just what a great place it really was to work at Trello. And then we'll be like, ah, hold yourself. And no, you cannot have your stock options back. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so there are definitely good places to work and bad places to work. That said, I think most places are bad places to work and it's very hard to get them right. And I think it's in the same category of code, which is that all developers think that all code bases are horrible. And whenever they see a new code base, whether it's good or bad, their first reaction is like, oh my God, what a mess. Either because of anti-patterns that naturally accumulate in any code base, or because they don't understand it at first, or because they're remembering one beautiful piece of code that they saw, probably using Hungarian notation that Charles Simeone wrote <laughs> a long time ago to calculate the layout of a word paragraph. And since then, they've never seen anything so amazing in their lives. Yeah, I feel like I sort of do the same thing. So I went to Centaur, which I think probably has the same thing you have, where the tuition rates very low because people like it. I think it's like 2 or 3% a yeah. year or something. And then I worked at Google, which, you know, it's good in some ways and bad in some ways. But when I look at a new job, I'm like, well, you know, this place isn't as good as Centaur in these ways. And it's not as yeah. good as Google in these ways. And it's not as good as Microsoft in these ways, right? And so, like, so the it's more like I work a in different places, proof. you yeah. come up with a reason why this is an awful, awful place by finding the way in which it's inferior to all the places that you know about. Yeah, exactly. So that was the part I liked the most about your story, which is really understanding that a lot of times the environments and the, and the companies are either dysfunctional or perceived as dysfunctional. And I do think there is another important trend, which is happened, and certainly since I wrote that article where the problem now is that you're a large company. You know, we visited some customers in San Francisco that are building entire skyscrapers that they now need to fill up with PHP programmers and Java programmers and Java programmers, actually. And that's going to be interesting in San Francisco because there aren't that many people there. And if they hire that many people from outside San Francisco, move them to San Francisco, there will not be enough houses for all those people. <laughs> and they just have an unrealistic expectation about how they're going to get those people. And the poor recruiters are going through the same 37 resumes, which is sort of like you've been asked in the winter in New York to prepare guacamole. And you've gone to the three bodegas in your neighborhood. And they have things that look like avocados, but they're either rock hard and you cannot make guacamole out of them, or they are so soft as to be like the hollow, like there's a skin that's kind of crispy, <laughs> like crispy pork cheeks. And, and then on the inside, there's just sort of rotted. Anyway, you can't make guacamole in New York in the winter. It can't be done. It is not a possibility. There's a lot more just variety like in avocados up. than I knew there was. There's... That's <laughs> something I've learned today. Yeah. But to circle back to less fruit-related topics, to one of the things I thought 
you were kind of poking at a little bit, I thought, interestingly, was, Joe, I thought your blog post implies, you don't really touch it, I thought yours implied a little bit of sort of an information imbalance, which is the people who are coming out of jobs, they're coming out of jobs and they need a job and they sort of know they need a job and so they're trying to get a company while the companies aren't able to really screen them exactly. They don't know as much about the individual's quality necessarily. But Dan, you kind of touched on something interesting, which is the implication that it goes in both directions, which is the developers, uh, tell me if I'm misinterpreting what you're saying, often don't have the ability to determine whether the workplace is a great place to work with all of the correct information, which actually struck me as correct in that, to your point, about lots of jobs being bad developer jobs, it's because they're at big corporate awful companies in some cases. And those companies both, I think, may not give developers wonderful lives. And then you touch on this sort of how many places have kind of a bad environment, can't, can or won't fix it, but they're good salespeople. They can have a big recruiting staff. They can sell the company. They can mm-hmm. pitch it. They can control that information flow. Uh, but they can't stop you from checking the Joel test score. <laughs> That's true. So that was an interesting point in there. The one thing I think you guys might agree on, like at the heart, and Joel, your, your actual piece was more about here's why it is worth trying to source great developers through a couple of methods that you've tried out, I think, as opposed to screening the resumes as I they come I can't remember. In. This might have been a pitch to get summer interns one year yeah. when I wrote this blog post. The heart of the thing you're recommending here has to do with getting interns early, I'd say. Yeah. But Dan, I'm curious if you'd agree that. So it's almost like the setup, your premise, I think, is where you guys had some interesting differences. But Dan, tell me if you agree with this. Is I think part of that, Joel, what you were getting at almost is that resumes, if you allow people just kind of widely to apply, that the resume applications you receive will skew wildly disproportionately toward lower quality candidates. And that, Dan, felt both true to me, and I, I don't think contradicting your point in that Even if we assume, you make some argument that the people on the market may be less skewed than Joel thinks, that maybe because good developers are getting frustrated, they want to leave bad jobs more, et cetera. Even if the distribution's the same, the length of time that a weaker applicant is on the market is likely to be longer, which is say, even if they come into the market the same, I would think a good developer who applies to a couple of jobs they like gets more opportunities and takes one, while you'd expect a weaker developer to stay there longer, which should still result in some resume skew. Would you agree with that? Or is that not in line with kind of your observation? I would agree that it's true on average, but like I certainly know people who I think of as very, very good. And for whatever reason, they just don't have, I don't know, maybe they don't have the right trendy term on the resume or they don't like, you know, I don't know, interview well or something. Sure. They have a really hard time finding a job and they can find a job with anyone they've worked with in the past because everyone knows they're great and wants to work with them. But if they don't want to work with one of those people, not one of those people, but if they don't want to work at a company where they happen to know a person who can hire them in, right, then they can often be in the market for a long time. And so, you know, I don't know. I don't think it's true of everybody, right? I think it's like there's this correlation. Fair. Makes sense. So quick question I always ask is a little bit off topic from the blog post, but how did you first get interested in coding? What got you started with computers? Yeah, so I started a long time ago. Like, so in middle school, I tried basic and I, I don't think I got programming. And I tried to get in high school. Some of my friends got like a programming book and we tried to program and we didn't get it. I think Joel has this blog post where he talks about how some people don't get pointers and that kind yeah. of stuff, right? And I distinctly remember not understanding recursion. It just didn't make sense. <laughs> I did too. I did too. <laughs> That's why I had to be a CEO. I think in order to really get recursion, <laughs> no, get you have now. to already understand it is my limited sense of how it all works. Is that... Get it? That's <laughs> recursive. <sighs> but yeah, so I ended up doing electrical engineering in college and that clicked a lot better. It just made sense. I don't know why, but it just seemed pretty easy. And then I worked at this chip company, Centaur, for like eight years. One of the things with hardware tools is they're really, really bad. I think it's like almost unbelievable to people who use software tools how bad hardware tools are. Um, and so you can get a lot of mileage out of writing. Even if you don't know how to write software, you can get a lot of value out of just writing your own like mildly, only somewhat crappy tools. And so I did a lot of that. And then I eventually ended up at Google where people write software, Microsoft where people write software. Um, but it's like this very slow process, right? Like I don't think I am good at programming or I don't get it or something, right? But like, I don't know. I sort of, over the course of 10 years, I sort of picked up some programming. 
Eventually, software is eating the world, and eventually everybody has to write software, even if they're in hardware engineering, and eventually it just becomes code. Yeah. So people can find you. You have a blog at danlu.com, which is a six-letter domain. That's awesome. And I did that <laughs> as a way of mentioning, since this is an audio podcast, that there are two U's in Lou. And also Twitter.com, Dan Lou. Anything else you want to promote or anything else anybody should Wait, forget? let me, quick promotion. I think we forgot oh. to mention the name of Dan's post that we referenced, which is Developer Hiring in the Market for Lemons. Lemons. Dan has a number of great posts on his website. Dan does not have a great text layout. I'm sorry, Dan. <laughs> I knew it. it made, like, I don't really yeah. code at all. And I was, like, in the source trying to add margins and maybe change the font size and font itself. You just, you just make your uh, browser it's window. It's, it's simple. Designers will respect no. the... But if you were to recommend one other piece in your blog, what's your favorite for a reader who wants to go check out your blog? And we'll probably read The Market for Lemons, but what's your favorite, Dan? So there's one, I think, called Normal Using Defense. The URL is slash wet, the W-A-T. I think it ties to the hiring post because it's sort of explaining a reason companies sort of have problems that they can't fix or can't seem to acknowledge. Cool. Wait, what, what was that one called? I think normalization of deviance. Oh, normalization of deviance in normalization software. Normalization of deviance in software, how broken practices become standard. But actually, the URL, danlu.com slash W-A-T, is much better. W-A-T wow. is a programmer word that expresses incredulity that nobody is as stupid as they is. It a, is it a programming etymology, not like internet rooms or something? It doesn't. It's sort of like foo or bar. It's a word that programmers use to mean what? Do you know where that came Nobody from? Nobody else uses it. Yeah, it comes from that JavaScript. I'm looking at it. Oh, yeah. So it actually though? came from that talk? I think so. I haven't heard of it before that. Interesting. And it was destroyallsoftware.com slash talk slash W-A-T by Gary Bernhard, who was not very long ago, Codemash 2012, was making fun of some of the mysterious behaviors of the JavaScript programming language in a tongue-in-cheek and funny way. Most of the behaviors are weird edge cases that you would never encounter, so they don't matter, but they sure make that... JavaScript language looks stupid. I like when like the Urban Dictionary or like an online dictionary tries to maintain dictionary style. What yeah. is a variant of the English word what that is often yeah. used to express confusion or disgust, much like its better known acronym <laughs> WTF, short for what the... Oh, can I say that in the pocket? We'll skip it. Firehouse. What the firehouse? <laughs> what the fudge? <laughs> anyway, please do check out Dan Liu's blog. It All has right. a number of great pieces, only some of which correct mistakes that Joel has made in the past. <laughs> and Dan, thank you so much for joining us and sharing a little bit about your story and background. Thanks. Woo, thanks, Dan. And fake applause in the background. It is time for the news. <laughs> can now play with Stack Overflow data on Google's BigQuery, a data warehouse for analytics. Since 2011, those interested in Stack Overflow or Stack Exchange data have used the Stack Exchange Data Explorer at data.stackexchange.com. Now that this data is also on BigQuery, users can join Stack Overflow data with a wide variety of other data sets, such as GitHub's. Ooh. Users will also be able to go beyond 50,000 rows in their analysis and use a REST API to connect the data to tools like Tableau, Looker, and R. This is pretty cool. Okay. I like how we read this like as a real, like a real news story. It makes it sound like a really, really official, but this is just us sort of inserting our own. <laughs> it's news. That is such a developer attitude that it's like, uh, oh, oh, by the way, you made it sound good. Um, it's bad. No, no, it's actually it's cool. No, it's a cool, it is a cool, it is kind of dressed up like the headline of the New York Times is it like, is. New York Times now offers Sunday delivery, like as the main, you know, it's a, Right. No, this is, first of all, it's a big deal. Yeah, yeah, no, Did we, it is exciting. We had a version of this on Microsoft's database thing, didn't we once, David? Didn't Microsoft have a thing with, uh, oh, like, I don't know what you're talking about. OData? So anyway. What is OData? We did an OData thing a long time ago. I'm not ever sure it actually worked. Okay. 
context and background, most of our listeners are probably aware that all of our user-generated content is licensed under the Creative Commons CC by SA license because people are donating their time and knowledge. And so we shouldn't own it. We may own the platform, but the world, the world should it. own it. And so to make it available, we have data dumps where people can just download the raw data and do what they wish with it, obviously, with all the private information pulled out. But also we've provided a way, the Stack Exchange Data Explorer, where if you don't want to download the whole darn thing and put it on your own machine, you can make write queries using that in Yeah, SQL. so there is a URL, which this blows people's minds. If you go to data.stackexchange.com and type SQL queries, and they will run against the whole Stack Overflow data set. And you totally. can get the results, like select count star from users and find out how many users we have. I'm going to be honest. Every time I run a SQL query and any results come back in any contest, it blows my mind. Right. I get super excited. I that, just do like yeah. select one and then a one comes back and I'm like, oh my God. It maxes out though. See, it does sometimes. Select it one. maxes out on the data explorer, which is one of the things that the Google product helps with. Right? Okay. So BigQuery lets you do big queries, I guess. It's a Google thing and their data is now there. Is that the story? Amazing. It's the same data we've always had, now available on Google BigQuery. So you can... Is it just... Uh, it's just one of their open data sets. They so they've got a big Google collection BigQuery. of open data sets, and now ours is one of them, and you can query it. And then you can also, because it's on there, join it against their other data sets. I'm not quite sure how or what you would join against there, but you could theoretically. And well, if you, you could, wanted to do this, you would go to cloud.google.com slash bigquery. But you could do stuff like, I mean, imagine you're looking for like how often certain functions or whatever turns up in the Stack Overflow data set. You could join that with how often it turns up in, like, in GitHub data set. This is very, we should get this oh, stuff sure, on. Oh, sure, like a text analysis? Yeah. yeah. Wolf, Wolf from oh. Alpha, because then you could be like average number of Stack Overflow questions per population of goats. Right, right, and right, it would yeah, just yeah, do, yeah. do it for you magically with a little chart. Exactly. How many... PHP answers make up the height of the Empire State Building. Yeah, Go. Yeah, you, yeah, and you'd be like, I don't know what you mean by goats. Uh, any kind of goat or just any specific breed? Amazing. Well, you've gone <laughs> and wasted. You've gone and wasted another hour of your life listening to Stack Overflow podcast number 97, recorded Thursday, December 15th, 2016 at Stack Overflow headquarters. Cordis, is this the last one for the year? Yes, it is. Okay, so we're going to be gone now. We're going to have Hanukkah. We're going to have right. Kwanzaa. We're going to have Christmas. We're going to have New Year's. We're back we're on gonna the 12th. We're going to have a whole bunch of stuff, and we'll be back January 12th. Thank you. Enjoy this the Festival of Saints. podcast has been brought to you by Mott Street, a prime destination for those searching for the best and cheapest New York food, Mott Street. Our audio engineer is Carlos Hernandez. Audio editor is David Greenlee. Producer is Jess Perdue. Executive producer is Caitlin Pike. Board. Dan Liu, Blue Feet, Jay Hanlon, David Fulton, Elon Itzkaki, I'm Joel Spolsky. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, where did you get that hat? Where did you get that tile? Isn't it a knobby one in just the proper style? I should like to have one just the same as that. Wherever I go, people shout hello. Where did you get that hat? Good, good radio. Matt Sherman <laughs> says we have to cut something. I don't know who we offended about what. I don't know if I missed, missed it. What did we miss? What did we, what did we No, you what said we... something we had to, that actually. We got to find Chase saying, I'm not interested in boobies or something like that. I don't remember what the exact line was. <laughs> Is that what I said? <sighs> Assuming it gets on the air. I don't know. We're just trying to fill air here. This is radio. Were you always interested in boobies? I'm not interested in boobies. Boobies are really cute, actually. Uh,